The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is sponsored by Circle and Near. Money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, join Michael Casey and Sheila Warren for the Money Reimagined podcast as they explore the connection between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's Sheila Warren. Hello and welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Sheila Warren. Over the past year on this show, we've talked quite a bit about the quick-evolving crypto policy environment. As the industry grows, governments and regulators all around the world are looking to get up to speed. One regulator that's been in headlines lately is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. The CFTC is an independent U.S. agency that regulates the $200 trillion-plus derivatives market, including futures contracts, options, and swaps. Since 1974, its mission has been to promote the integrity, resilience, and vibrancy of the U.S. derivatives markets through sound regulation. Its goals include the promotion of competitive and efficient markets and the protection of investors against manipulation, abusive trade practices, and fraud. But how exactly does the CFTC work? Who are the commissioners? How do they think about their mission? And most importantly, how can the crypto community work best with them? To help us understand better, we're joined today by a former CFTC commissioner, Don Stump. Don became a commissioner in 2017, following presidential appointment and Senate confirmation as ball commissioners. As one of five commissioners, she helped to shape the priorities of the agency while overseeing policy direction and internal planning. She championed the importance of enterprise-wide risk management practices and specifically initiated new agency-wide data protection procedures for the consistent handling of data intake and strengthening of responses to potential cyber intrusion. She previously served as Majority Minority Senior Professional Staff for the U.S. Senate and House Committees on Ag. She was also actively involved in negotiating Dodd-Frank and efforts to conduct oversight of commodity and financial derivatives under CFTC jurisdiction. Clearly a very distinguished career, and I'm really looking forward to getting her thoughts today. Uh, but before we do that, some exciting news. This is our 100th episode of Money Reimagined. Michael, can you believe that? I can't, can't believe we've done 100 of these things. And so, sometimes the way that like, and, and let, let's be clear, the sausage making uh, today is one of those you know, examples that things don't always go to plan. Uh, we have a wonderful guest on today who has thankfully come into uh, at a last minute because we had someone else we lined up. This is what happens. And so, yeah. 
Uh, you'd think we'd have it smoother after a hundred of them. We'd be like a, a well-oiled machine, but yeah, no, I don't think that's the that nature way. of anything in crypto. Is anything really particularly well-oiled? I'm not so sure. Uh, and we are no exception, but yes, or, or in journalism. Yeah, um, and yeah. thinking back, you know, it's fascinating in this over two years, just how far the industry has has come in terms of the awareness, what we what we know, the fact that there are these different bills pending, one of which involves the agency we'll talk about today, the CFTC. Uh, these are things that I think when we started this podcast, I'm not sure we would have had any idea that this would be where we are. So pretty remarkable. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, the 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 serious conversation now happening, certainly in DC, like, and I sit down now and you think you talk to people, you know, like Dawn and like so many others, and they're just so deeply knowledgeable about this space. It is a much more sophisticated environment, not necessarily less hostile, (laughs) but I mean, I was just struck by how this week, how important sort of the CBDC slash crypto conversation is at FinTech week, which is Uh in parallel with the IMF meetings, which, you know, this is a front and center conversation for, for governments everywhere. I think also because we're entering into this rather difficult global financial moment and you can't not think about the design of the system and therefore, you know, you're going to have to start thinking about this tech. So why don't we stop? Just yeah. Well, with that, I mean, I'd love to. And, and bring in our guest. <laughs> well, let's bring in, let's bring in and, and Don Stump. So Don, you know, we just want to start with level setting. So, so even though the CFTC is a hot topic in the crypto industry today, I'm willing to bet a lot of our listeners are, would, if they were really honest, would be able to say that beyond maybe expanding the acronym, they don't really know what the CFTC does and why is it relevant to crypto. So maybe just walk us through it. You know, how you think about the agency as somebody who who's certainly an insider. Yeah, so I have been in and around the CFTC for the better part of 25 years. And I think you're right. They're the the least, perhaps the least known United States regulatory agency. And yet their mandate is fairly broad. And sometimes it's confusing to folks as to why they would have a stake in the crypto conversation. Generally speaking, the CFTC is a market infrastructure regulator. And so I always think of the CFTC's mandate, I call it the three P's. There's prevent, protect, and promote. And sometimes people leave the promote piece out. And I think that's very critical. And so I'd like to just kind of expand on that. So the CFTC's mandate is to prevent price manipulation and market disruption to the benefit of market integrity. So that's the part where they they prevent bad things from happening to the market infrastructure. Then they are also to protect market participants from fraud and abusive practices and misuse of customer assets. Oftentimes, customer assets is something that's been posted as collateral. And then to promote a responsible innovation and fair competition. So these are the things that Congress laid out for the CFTC. This isn't the mission statement of an individual chairman or of any particular commissioner. These are the things that Congress told the CFTC to do. And they told them to do them in the context of a variety of different things. I mean, initially, the CFTC was established to regulate commodity futures, and that's why they're the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. This was during a time where the Department of Agriculture had traditionally regulated agricultural futures. And then there was the development of energy futures. And so it became pretty apparent to policymakers that they needed to have a dedicated independent agency 
um, similar to the SEC that had five commissioners. They were independent from the White House. They were independent from the president. They were independent from Congress. They were um, their own market regulatory agency. And then there was the event of financial futures. And everyone said, well, why would the C at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission regulate financial products? Well, because they have exclusive jurisdiction to regulate futures, all futures. Then there was a huge debate about whether the SEC or the CFTC should regulate security futures. And they ended up cobbling together and developing a, a remarkable, frankly, division of duties relative to security futures. So up until the event of the financial crisis in 2007 and 2008, the CFTC exclusively regulated futures. And then Congress determined that the CFTC might be a good place to provide authority to regulate um, a, another type of derivative known as over-the-counter swaps. And so the CFTC's authority expanded. It quadrupled. I mean, it was a remarkable expansion of their authority. Um, and now there are conversations about expanding that authority again. And I think, you know, it's sometimes confusing because people see commodity futures and they think, what does that have to do with cryptocurrency? Well, the, or crypto assets. The fact is that there are crypto futures, so the CFTC is already doing that, and they're familiar with the markets. And so as Congress looked for a regulator for the cash crypto products, they don't have a logical home right now. And so the conversation very logically is about which of the two market regulators in the United States makes sense. And the two market regulators in the United States are the CFTC and the Securities and Exchange Commission. And they do very similar things, but they sometimes do it in a very different way. And I think it all kind of hinges on that third prong of the CFTC's mandate, which is to promote responsible innovation and competition. So is the term future defined in statute or is it commonly understood? Has it come through law and jurisprudence? Great question. And I have to tell you that when I worked on a congressional committee, oftentimes there were attempts to define in statute the term future. And none of those attempts were successful because futures are products that they have various meanings. And I think it became pretty obvious in the course of trying to define what a futures product was that innovation has dictated that the term has evolved over time. And so it really couldn't be defined in a way that would preserve flexibility going forward. And I think that's pretty common. You know, sometimes when you lock down definitions too tightly, they very quickly lose their relevance in a current conversation. And, and so that was why the term future was never defined in statute, or at least that's my recollection when I worked in a congressional committee as to why um, the future was never defined. Okay. So, so like in some respects, the ambiguity is, is helpful, uh, but also it gives this wider scope. And, and has it been helpful to now the advancement of this conversation around the role that the CFTC play, could play in this very different uh, new industry that's emerging of crypto? I mean, clearly a lot of discussion in, in Washington about potentially shifting the, and more clearly defining the roles of the agencies when it comes to this sector, and a lot of folks saying, "Hey, this is this is right for the CFTC." Why? What is it about the nature of of crypto that you know? And I, I think I know where you stand on this. What what is it that makes it 
the CFTC the best agency for this. <laughs> Michael, thank you for saying that. You've heard me on another panel. I think describe them as is the. I literally the best, was on right? that panel with you, so that's you why were. I, I asked you that same question, perhaps. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think what distinguishes the CFTC is not necessarily. So today, the CFTC's authorities are defined by certain products. But I think what sets the CFTC apart is their culture. And I know that sounds strange, but every regulatory agency has a culture. And I think that most now agree that the crypto marketplace, even though it's still young, is mature to a point that it needs some basic customer protection, investor protection, and market integrity um, regulation to kind of level the playing field, if you would, so that everyone's able to compete on the same regulatory expectations. And I think that it will actually add legitimacy to this evolving market structure if there are some regulatory parameters put around it. But that doesn't mean that regulation needs to be so locked down that it can't be adapted. And so I think that's what's unique about the CFTC's culture. They're fairly nimble in the way they have historically regulated and that they can pivot when you know the market grows to, I mean, some of the traditional markets that the CFTC has regulated have changed tremendously from the initial way in which they were traded. The market structure has continued to evolve, and the CFTC, I think, has responded as, as quickly as any regulator, anyone in Washington can, has responded with adaptation. And I think that that's a hard thing for many regulatory types in Washington to say. I think that other regulators have perhaps just not been as nimble as the CFTC. And I think, you know, whether the CFTC is regulating corn futures or Bitcoin futures or interest rate swaps, they've preserved the ability to be adaptive and responsive to the market evolution through principles and not prescription. Um, and I think that's what sets the CFTC apart and what probably makes them a good fit for a highly innovative, fast-moving marketplace that structures being built, you know, as we speak. It's not going to be the same today as it is five years from now. So I'm going to respond to that, like, be nimble and and don't sort of rule by prescription. I think that there would be a lot of folks who would criticize the position of the SEC here and saying you're trying to apply this prescribed 1933 statute and a set of rules that really date back to that and squeezing whatever square peg the crypto world is into that round hole. Is that where you're going with this? And is that a problem? I mean, is is this an opportunity for us to create a body of regulations that in fact now is updated essentially to, to the 21st century? Yeah, I mean, I think the CFTC has legacy statutory requirements, legacy regulations that may not also fit for the crypto industry. But I think that Congress... Base, has given the CFTC a, a lot of room to adapt, where the SEC, I think, has traditionally had a culture of more prescriptive regulations, where the CFTC invites, imposes a set of principles on the infrastructure that they regulate, such that there is a fair number of ways that regulated entities can comply with it. And the criticism that's most often rendered at the CFTC is that that's relaxed regulation. Anyone who's been regulated by the CFTC, I think, will tell you that it's not relaxed regulation. The fact of the matter is that while there's a set of principles that are imposed upon the infrastructure that the CFTC regulates, 
they take very seriously the compliance obligations of those who have signed on to comply. And when compliance is missed, there's a very strong enforcement program that backs that up. And so I think another misunderstanding about the distinction between the SEC and the CFTC has been that the CFTC is a more relaxed regulator. They're not relaxed, they're principle-based. And if you can't comply with the principles that you, you as a, a market infrastructure provider, you can't comply with the principles that you have committed to in the way that you've committed then CFTC's enforcement division will very quickly find you. I have no doubt about that. They're a very strong force to be reckoned with. And, and I think it goes back to the pillars you talked about, right? At the end of the day, the regulators, you know, one of the primary pillars and primary mission and goal is, is protection of consumers. So where there's a violation of that principle or where perceived violation is probably or alleged, <laughs> I suppose, violation, right? Certainly, the, the the entire point, to some extent, of the regulator is to come in and figure out what do we do about that? And that might go right. all the way, you know, fines, yeah, assessments, things like right. that. And I think maybe here it's a good time to talk about what principles mean. When I talk about principles, they have various meanings in the context of CSTC's thinking. Congress gives the CFTC a set of core principles that they must impose and then the CFTC writes rules that are a little more prescriptive, but provide the infrastructure providers with the ability to comply in a variety of ways in a principle-based way, such that um, Exchange X may not comply in the same way Exchange Y does. But Exchange X and Y are going to have to write their own rule books that are even more granular than what Congress has given the CFTC in the form of principles, what the CFTC has given the infrastructure in the form of principles. And then there's the rule book that the infrastructure providers have to develop. That is where the obligations become a little more granular. And if those obligations are not adhered to, that is when people find themselves at odds with the CFTC's surveillance and enforcement responsibilities. And I think that, you know, that's kind of been an interesting conversation in and of itself. Like, what are the obligations today? Who should be complying in what way? And this unknown has actually created a terrible situation for those who want to be compliant and want to be responsibly regulated. There, there are some unfortunate unknowns that have created uh, an inability to um, understand and comply in the way that makes the most sense. I think that's what we're all striving for. What makes the most sense? What's the objective and how do we get there? And it doesn't necessarily mean compliance with rules that have been on the books for hundreds or 10 years even. You know, perhaps we need to design some new rules that are specific uh, and frankly, rules that give everybody the opportunity to adhere to them in a uh, uh, from a level playing field. So, so here's a question for you. So if the CFTC is deemed through whatever process to have jurisdiction over something, does that mean that the SEC does not? Are those mutually exclusive categories or how do they overlap? Yeah, no, not at all. In fact, you know, the CFTC and the SEC have operated in very similar markets and similar asset classes for a number of years. Um, I'm, security futures is an area where the CFTC and the SEC had to reach terms as to which agency was going to regulate which aspect of security futures. And, and it was ultimately decided that 
if they were broad-based security futures indexes, futures, um, then the CFTC would take them. If they were narrow-based and that they were more closely resembling the security itself, then the SEC would regulate it. And that's actually how the division of duties was arrived at with regard to the swaps that were the subject of the Dodd-Frank Act, too. The SEC and the CFTC each have a role to play in overseeing over-the-counter derivatives. Congress did have to provide a few parameters such that there was no confusion, both for the regulators and the marketplace. I think the marketplace was anxious to know who was doing what. And in the context of this new discussion we're having about who's going to regulate the cash crypto market, the CFTC has not traditionally regulated a cash market. The SEC has regulated security. And some of these products perhaps do not fall into the most commonly accepted definition of security. And so who should regulate them? At current time, I'm not sure that there is any agreement as to which agency would be the best. I mean, I have an opinion. Many people in Congress have an opinion about who's capable of it. But the CFTC is a market regulator. They're capable of regulating markets. And to the extent that something is not nicely fitting into that definition of security, why not the CFTC? I mean, they're very capable of regulating markets. And I applaud, frankly, many of the CFTC, all five of the current CFTC commissioners. I think they've been very thoughtful in, you know, the marketplace identified a problem here, that there needs to be regulation and some of these things are not security, perhaps. And I think the CFTC commissioners all said, sure, we'll help. We, they, they've raised their hand and said, how can we help? And I think Congress has taken note of that. And I, I applaud them all for doing it. So let's talk a bit more about the relationship between Congress and an agency. We hear the CFTC, but kind of even more generally, right? So the CFTC uh, connects to the Ag Committees, the Senate Ag Committee and the House Ag Committee. And they lay out, you know, to some extent, the a mandate for the agency to kind of do something or think about something or look at something. But how specific is that ordinarily? How specific can it be? You know, what's the kind of uh, relationship and role there? You know, people, I think, misunderstand this a lot of the time as well. So if you can speak to that. Yeah, I'd love to speak to this because I've actually sat in both places. I mean, I was never a member of Congress, but I was the staff person for the Agriculture Committee who was responsible for CFTC oversight. So so the CFTC, basically, there's a statute that provides them their roadmap. And Congress, from time to time, updates that statute and says, you know what, you have some new responsibilities. Here are your new responsibilities. That happened in Dodd-Frank. The CFTC then takes that and develops rules. But then they're constantly having to communicate back to Congress what they're doing. You know, the, the Congressional Committee, the Senate, Agriculture Committee or the House Agriculture Committee conducts oversight over the CFTC. The CFTC doesn't have a blank check to do whatever they want once they've determined that they are the market regulator for XYZ asset. Congress is constantly conducting an, an oversight of that agency and all five commissioners. And in fact, all five commissioners have to be confirmed by the Senate, by the Senate but, but they're vetted by the Senate Agriculture Committee first. They take it very seriously, and there's an expectation that all five commissioners will report and testify and communicate with Congress on how they're implementing what, not only what Congress has asked them to do, but also how they're interfacing with 
congressional constituents, you know, that the people who congressional members represent are hearing from their constituents as to a problem and they want the CFTC to help them solve it. And and that's where we are today. I think there is a, a recognition that in the crypto space, it would be wise to have some parameters um, from a regulator. And both the Senate Agriculture Committee and the House Agriculture Committee and the Senate Banking Committee and the Senate Financial Services Committee, and I should back up there, those are the committees that have oversight over the other market regulator, the SEC. But all four of those congressional committees are trying to solve a problem. They're going to need the SEC and the CFTC to help them solve that problem. It's not one or the other. It's how do we make it work in the most logical way. Near is a revolutionary yet simple Web3 platform for building decentralized apps. Designed by developers for developers, over 700 projects are now building on Near's fast, secure, and scalable protocol. Whether you're a crypto native launching DeFi apps, NFT marketplaces, and play-to-earn games, or looking to migrate your project from Web2, Near makes it easy to build Web3 for the masses. Near offers developers a variety of tools, resources, and support for building apps, empowering communities, and creating a more fair, inclusive, and equitable future. Start your Web3 developer journey now by visiting Near at near.org. That's N-E-A-R.org. So there is this, this accountability, basically, between the agency and the committees that have oversight over the agency. And there is this, this reporting back, some formal, some informal, that happens about the direction of travel, how things are going, and even consultation that's happening. So let's shift, you know, then to speak quickly about the bill right now. There's a bill that was, uh, that's been, that was put together and co-sponsored by the uh, current chair and ranking member of the, of the Senate Ag Committee. Senator Stavnow and Bozeman called the Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act. And that is looking at a, a place to sort of initially land this concept of crypto and futures and, and how does that engage, how should the CFTC engage there, you know, et cetera. And basically uh, assigning responsibility for that to the CFTC and saying the CFTC needs to kind of look at this very seriously. And here are some things that we think are directionally, you know, uh, the direction that this kind of thing should go. Uh, but they're certainly doing that in consultation with the agency. So from your experience, what does that look like? What is that, what is that dance? You know, how, do, how does that, how does that all, all play? So typically, and, and my experience was I, I worked on two pieces of legislation when I was working in the Senate. Both, I mean, I worked on several pieces of legislation, but two dealing with the CFTC. The agency will be asked for their thoughts on how best to achieve the outcome that everybody's asking for. And, you know, and sometimes the outcome is different. You know, that various stakeholders want different things. And so the congressional committee will ask the CFTC for their input on what makes sense, just like the Senate Banking Committee is probably asking the SEC for what makes sense. Um, I mean, when I was a CFTC commissioner, I spoke to the Senate Banking Committee and House Financial Services Committee, too. You know, they they engage CFTC commissioners, even though they don't have direct oversight, the banking committees. But the Ag Committee consults with the CFTC before they start putting words on a page. Then they take it from there where they're working with their own drafting councils and the industry, frankly, to see what makes sense. They invite public engagement. 
And at that point, there is a hearing or, or what we would call a markup where the legislation is debated among the committee members. But that's not, it seems like the first step in what in your textbook as to how a bill becomes a law. It's not. There's a lot of conversation leading up to that, both with the CFTC's market regulatory experts and the outside constituents, the industry, and the consumer advocates, the customer, those who are really focused on customer protection. I maintain that all three of those stakeholders want ultimately want the same thing. It shouldn't be hard, as hard as it sometimes is to arrive at a consensus because everyone wants well-regulated, safe markets. We just sometimes each party has a different way of going about it. And so, you know, the conversations that are going on now are probably, even though I'm not there anymore, probably between the CFTC's legal counsels, the CFTC commissioners, congressional staff, members of Congress, senators who want to know if what they have developed in its very initial phase will work. And the reality is we're not going to know until we test it. And so at some point, everybody has to trust the process. It's a group project until it's not. (laughs) And then you have to trust that the process is going to work. You mentioned earlier on a very reasonable point that the CFTC being perhaps more flexible and nimble uh, and capable at regulating doesn't necessarily mean that it is more lax, right? But it's interesting watching the way that the community responded to the recent Uki Dow case. Uh, uh, some shock and awe, you know, like, oh my goodness, the CFTC is, is just as bad as the SEC coming down hard on us. Uh, uh, putting that aside, the thing that's really sort of interesting and challenging about that ruling is trying to de- determine whether or not it sets another precedent that I think other agencies have tried to set. That just because you have some sort of decentralized governance structure and and no easily identifiable authority of an institution like a DAO doesn't you know keep you uh, in any way immune from from legal action. But I just wonder how does that work? I know you're not no longer the CFTC, so you're not a party to this decision. But like maybe if you can put yourself into the heads of the commissioners, what would be the the logic behind thinking about okay, here's this decentralized or you know entity. Who are you actually suing? Who, in fact, are the the bad guys in this case? Yeah, it's a very interesting case. And I have to say, when I was there at the CFTC, you know, there are only five people who sign their name to every enforcement action, Mm. or they choose not to. So there are five people at the CFTC who ultimately are responsible for making those decisions. So there's an enforcement division of hundreds of people who bring enforcement cases. There are regulatory oversight divisions of hundreds of people who design rules. And I think the commission, the five commissioners, are the only ones responsible for making sure that the two are aligned. And so in the case of any enforcement action, you know, often the discussion is about deterring wrongdoing. And that's what it should be about. But it's just not that simple because sometimes deterring wrongdoing can be dealt with in a very simple way. You can shut down fraudulent activity by simply bringing an enforcement action claiming manipulation or fraud. You can shut down an entity by saying they failed to register as an exchange. It's when you're setting new precedent that commissioners, myself included, really struggle with 
do we have the authority? That's the question I think every one of them probably asked in the case of Dow obligations here. Do we have the authority to do this? And I think there was a disagreement among the commissioners based upon at least one commissioner's dissenting statement as to whether or not they thought Congress had given them the authority to do that. And then there was also a conversation, I'm guessing, that was had relative to should we not write some rules before we bring enforcement actions that are setting a new precedent? And, and I personally, this was always my personal view when I was there, I think some rules that have been on the books for years can be easily translated into crypto market infrastructure. And so those should be pretty obvious to those who are offering, in the case of crypto, crypto derivatives, that they need to comply with CFTC rules, but even though they're not specific to crypto infrastructure. There are other areas that I think would really benefit from a little more guidance from the regulatory powers that be as to maybe it's new rules, maybe it's guidance, maybe it's a staff advisory, although I personally think that it's the responsibility of the commission to set policy. I think in the case here, rules would be helpful before enforcement, rules prior to enforcement. So what those rules look like, and I'm not saying that we can presuppose what they would all be, but I just think like the core issue is here is the defining what the entity is. And is it important, therefore, to say, all right, if if your organization has XYZ qualities, there's some sort of authority who seems to be leading the conversation, there's some concentration of token ownership, and whatever it might be. Do you think there's a realm in which, and this obviously applies to the SEC as well, these agencies can look at these projects and say, all right, this is sufficiently decentralized, even if, if decentralization is in fact the metric, but th this, is a, this is a structure that represents a different type of entity that we can't regulate or we have to regulate differently. And here's an environment in which it actually is, right? I mean, that, at least that's the way that a lot of people in the crypto agency will talk about it. They'll look at the structure of a project the structure of, of a blockchain and say, look, this is de facto centralized and therefore there is a single authority that can be held to account, et cetera, et cetera. This is a regulated, regulatable entity. But if it is sufficiently decentralized because of the token ownership and the, the sheer lack of anyone's single ability to change, you know, where things are going, then, you know, how, how can you regulate? What, what, who and what are you regulating? And, and, and so what would be the, the guidelines here? What would you like to see, not, you know, at least in broad terms, for giving some clarity to this process? I think that the legislation that's been proposed will go a long way towards helping define who's responsible or enabling the CFTC or the SEC to define who's ultimately responsible for um, the governance. So the CFTC is responsible for regulating infrastructure. The infrastructure provider is going to have to be defined in a way such that it can be responsible for governance, for financial responsibility, for um, cybersecurity. You know, there are a lot of obligations that are going to be placed on the decision makers, but those have to be defined. And so I think whether it's, uh, I understand what you're asking relative to you know, if it's decentralized, can you regulate it? The reality is that there will have to be someone responsible for compliance with all of these principles that 
are going to be implicated. And in this case, I think the CFTC, at least the majority of the commissioners, not all of the commissioners, took the position that the DAO itself was responsible for those types of governance decisions. And I, I think, again, those sorts of cases would be well informed by some regulatory guidance as to how and which authorities were utilized and how they arrived at that, uh, that position. Because I think many people were surprised by that. Many people were um, scratching their heads as to, wow, that's just not how we ever envisioned it working. I mean, the reality is that there are probably going to be a lot of head scratching moments <laughs> as we <laughs> see this market continue to evolve because what has traditionally been the regulatory oversight principles are not going to fit as nicely on top of an entirely new decentralized market structure. But someone ultimately is going to have to be responsible for the things that a regulator requires for compliance. And in the case of something that's, you know, it, it, it is the decision makers and who the decision makers are matter. And I think those are things you will probably see as more and more people seek to register with the CFTC. The, these are the things that everyone is probably spending a lot of time thinking about. We, we need to register to do certain things with the CFTC. We may need to register for um, even a, a, in a broader way if we choose to go cash to the cash market and, and the CFTC becomes the ultimate regulator of the cash market. But in doing so, how do we make sure that someone is responsible and not some one person, but some entity? Is responsible? Isn't the, is, wouldn't the act of registration itself then create the sense of a responsible person? I mean, yes. it's like someone has to sign that document. Someone has to put their name to it. So it's the registration. And that's why this case was, I agree. That's why this case was so interesting because it was on one hand, a failure to register charge, failure to register as, as a an exchange with the CFTC and failure to register as a futures commission merchant, which for all practical purposes is a broker with mm -hmm. the CFTC. So that was the failure to register charge. And those have been brought many times by the CFTC in the crypto space. Um, but the new failure to register piece was the DAO and how, who, who should register? You know, it, it sort of begs the question, what are the expectations? And I think that's where we are. I think that's exactly what is creating a productive discussion. As painful as it may be, what's creating this conversation that Congress and the CFTC and the SEC are having is the fear of the unknown. No one wants to be subjected to enforcement cases that they couldn't have possibly um, predicted. Um, some people, I mean, you can't defend against all bad actors doing bad things at all times. But those who genuinely want to comply or want to be in, uh, in want to innovate responsibly are desperately seeking some regulatory clarity. And I think this case, perhaps not this particular instance, but just the precedent that is set by this case is, is a really good example of why we need regulatory clarity and why we need guidance, why we need rules, because it's unfair to do these um, one-off constant enforcement cases without providing some, you know, direction, if you will. Yeah. And, and I couldn't agree more, <laughs> probably obviously. And 
something I think you've said to me before, Don, is just your experience of Dodd-Frank and, and trying to create legislation in the wake of a crisis is a very different thing than having, even though it feels very you know compressed and urgent and all of these things, but having the ability to craft something a bit more proactively and think about how do we head off, you know, something like that situation. So I just love, you know, for you to comment just quickly on kind of the differences that you see and the kind of approach legislative that we have the chance to take now versus the entire experience of Dodd-Frank. No, absolutely. So having worked in legislative drafting in a congressional body during the financial crisis that was 2007, 2008, and attempting to draft a legislative response to a market that was very well developed at that point. There was a lot of market infrastructure that was already developed around the -the over-the-counter derivatives market and, and attempting to preserve what was working and abandon what wasn't and add some um, legitimacy, frankly, to a marketplace that, you know, the public, the press at the time was calling them weapons of mass destruction. You know, there, were, there was a utility for OTC swab. It just was the case that there was a lot of abuses because it wasn't regulated. And so, again, trying to design a legislative solution in a crisis was very challenging because a lot of the stakeholders in the midst of the crisis didn't want to be part of the conversation. And so it was, you know, it was a very small group of people who were engaged in making that work. And then the regulators and took it over, you know, it was like Congress did their part. And then the regulatory agency took it to make rules. And in the context of those rules, I think we found 10 years later, when I was at the CFTC, some of those rules still weren't implemented, still weren't working because they were so challenging to apply in a a workable way. So the difference and the opportunity that we have here with regard to the development of the crypto marketplace, the market infrastructure, is that we're in early days. The entire market hasn't already grown up. And you don't want to put regulation. It's hard to put design a regulatory solution to a grown-up market. But it's really, really hard to do it when that market's imploding. And, and I'm not suggesting that's what's going to happen. But the impetus for legislation should not be crisis. The impetus for legislation should be opportunity. And I think we have opportunity now in the crypto space and, and not panic, if you will. Well, I couldn't think of a better place to kind of end, you know, kind of a call to action to say, take advantage of this moment. Uh, where we do have, you know, some breathing room to think about these challenging issues, to get into them, to think about them. I mean, to, to some extent, to your point, we're building the plane while flying it. You know, certainly that is true. Nevertheless, we have a chance to weigh in on, you know, what that should look like. We could go on and so many more questions I would love to ask you, but Don, I know we're at time. Thank you so much, Don Stump, for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Uh, thank you, as always, to my co-host, Michael Casey. Uh, getting into Ukidao and all those all those <laughs> twists and turns. Uh, and thank you to all of our listeners, uh, our ongoing listeners. Our 100th episode today, couldn't be more excited about the, uh, the topic. Uh, still can't believe we're, we're where we are uh, this many episodes later. So thank you to all of you who continue to stick through with us. And much appreciated. And we'll see you next time on Money Reimagined. Bye-bye. 
You've been listening to Money Reimagined. Today's show has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau, announcements by Adabi Levine, and our executive producer is Jared Schwartz. Our theme song is by Shepard. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And from all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening.